the sentence still jumps out at me from the middle of that page on the Wall Street Journal, writes Joel Bells. It was one of those electric expressions that you can't forget. And even though it's been more than a decade since I read it, says Bells, I still remember it. People want to be lightly governed by strong governments, was the sentence. People want to be lightly governed by strong governments. That's what we've all wanted since we were small children, Bells contends. You wanted, think about this, your dad to be big and strong. You wanted him to be able to do anything you could think of except that when he dealt with you, it had to be with gentleness and tenderness. You wanted a policeman on the corner who was tough enough to handle any neighborhood bully, but who would also hoist you up to his shoulders, help you find your parents when you got lost in the crowd. When evil people rise up, we want a government with the clout to back them down. Yet we never want that clout turned on us. Bells concludes, there is this innate yearning in all of us for that rare combination, lots of muscle, lots of restraint. In short, we want an authority that is tender and tough. Well, if you have been along for the ride thus far in this series, then you know that the first part of that desire is met in God and in Jesus Christ in particular. On the one hand, God is tremendously tough. And if you haven't picked that up so far, let me dare to underline it again as we think about um, what Jesus is saying to us. There is this impulse in many of us to, to have a, a, a faith that is pick-and-choose oriented. There is this instinct in many of us to say, I like this particular belief and that particular practice, but I'm going to leave these other ones aside because I find them inconvenient, uh, uncomfortable, or incompatible with my needs right now. But Jesus says, I will not let you Stay in that place. I want you to obey everything that I have commanded you, says Jesus. I want you to seek an entire holistic obedience to everything I've commanded you. And that is a tough challenge. We often say, I know my character could use some work. I'm aware there are a few things that maybe need a little improvement. But Jesus says, no. You are a lot sicker than you know. <laughs> if you could see a really healthy person, you would realize how needy you are. You need to start all over. Not just a little bit here, a little bit. You need to start all over again, says Jesus. You must be born again. And that's tough. We say sometimes, okay, God, 
I'll try and do less of that stuff that displeases you. I'm going to definitely tone it down. I'm going to notch it back. But Jesus says, your reduction plan is not sufficient to me. I want you to turn away from that stuff that you know you're doing that does, is not part of my desire for you. I want you to turn away from it altogether and head hard in the other direction. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is tough. He speaks and acts like all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. <laughs> I mean, he does. He brooks no rivals. He, he is not satisfied with, with a partial devotion to him. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, when your possessions or your personal preferences trump his claims on your life. He doesn't simply shrug it off when you're more loyal to your political party or to your particular picture of what piety should be than to what he actually says in his word. Jesus is a very strong governor. He's a strong government. He issues concrete commands. He tolerates no rivals Jesus is tough. And that is why I think some of us might feel a little bit reluctant or even downright resistant to answering the particular commandment that is the subject of all the scripture texts that I've given you in your worship bulletin today. When Jesus says, come to me, how can I be sure that this is an invitation that I would even want to respond to? When Jesus is saying, in effect, make me your focus, make me the destination, the direction, the desire of your life, come to me, how can I be sure that that's a good deal? Because you see, I've got these other experiences in my life, and you do too. When my parents said to me, Daniel Dominic Meyer, come here. I, I knew that it was likely going to be a moment in which I would have some judgment brought upon me. I would find something, have something found wanting in me. I might deserve entirely what was coming my way, but I didn't have to like it. And I was resistant to come. When my college crew coach said, Meyer, come over here. It was a strong possibility that he had found something in wanting in me or that he had devised a new torturous workout for me that would leave me pained and breathless. When my children to this day say, Dad, come here, it is rarely to pay back the $20 they just borrowed from me <laughs> or to ask how they could clean up the house and lighten my load. Right? So you understand why when Jesus says, come to me, some of us are a little bit questioning about this. So many times we've had these experiences in life when people who ask us to come to them are simply looking to relieve themselves of a burden or to pile one more on top of our plate or our shoulders. A lot of religions are like this. 
They issue all kinds of demands and lay on us all kinds of obligations and all kinds of guilt and all kinds of weights and expectations. How is it not like this with Jesus? Well, it's not like this with Jesus. This is what makes a relationship with Jesus different than a religion of anything else. Jesus calls us to himself, but when he does so, this you can be sure of. It is not to berate us. It is not to beat us down. It is not to burden us. It is to build us up. When Jesus calls you to come to him, it is always for the purpose of building you up. Even though his words in that moment may be tough, his goal is always your recreation, your renewal, your greater life. Now, as I've been saying all along here, the Christian life is not a cakewalk. It is not for wimps. It's not for the faint-hearted. Jesus made it very clear to him that finding him at all was challenging. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, he said. The gate is narrow and the way that is hard that leads to life. You and I will face all kinds of distractions on our way to trying to find Jesus. We'll have all kinds of delusions about who Jesus is. We're sold visions of false pictures of Jesus all the time that, that accord with our personal preferences or our own politics. Or our own, but to find the true Jesus takes energy and commitment and effort and perseverance on our part. Following Jesus is even tougher than finding him. Uh, living the way of Jesus in a world that is going very differently, that it follows a lot of different priorities, that um, is out for different things, is a, a tough challenge. And even when you get on the way of Jesus for a while, the voice of the world was constantly pulling you off of that narrow path onto the wider way. But listen to what Jesus offers to those who are willing to keep making this persevering journey into his presence. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me say that again. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Is there a more beautiful word in the language? Rest. A chance for the laying down of burden. A chance to let go of the need to be the king of the universe. To manage it all. I will give you rest, says Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Get up under the yoke with me. Let me shoulder it with you. Don't do life. You'll never do life alone again if you come to me. For I am gentle. I am gentle. And I am humble. And you will find rest for your souls with me, says Jesus. Come to me. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. For I am the bread of life, says Jesus elsewhere. He who comes to me will never go hungry, will not ache in the depths of their being any longer. 
If anyone is thirsty, let her come to me and drink, says Jesus. There is a reason why millions and millions of children and, and, and young adults and men and women the world over are all doing something like we're doing here today. There's a reason why 2,000 years after he first issued the invitation, millions of people are still foregoing the tailgate for a little while to come and worship or, or fighting against immense persecution in order to come and worship or leaving behind the other distractions of life in order to come to worship, to gather around a table like this. There is a reason why after all of these years so many people have been willing to do this, why so many people are committed to finding Jesus and to following his way. And John Piper describes the reason in these terms. It is because Jesus is the burden lifter. He is the soul satisfier. He is the life giver. And the demand that we come to him, hear me, wake up your neighbor if they're drifting off at this point. Just say, no, pay attention to this part. The demand that we come to him, it, rather than put our hope in any other authority we might be putting our hope in. This demand, this command of Jesus may seem awfully narrow and hard, and at some level I suppose it is. But, says Piper, this command of Christ is like the demand of a father to his child when the child is standing in a burning window and the dad cries out, Jump to me. This command of Jesus is like the demand of a rich, strong, tender, faithful, handsome husband to an unfaithful wife when he says, come home to me. It's like the demand of a rescue squad that finds you out on the, in the middle of a desert on the point of death, terribly dehydrated, and they say to you, drink this. Drink this. And as tough as the words sound, we must remember they are driven by a tender heart, a heart that feels some urgency in seeing us get the help that we desperately need. And so Jesus commands come to me. In his book, Doubting, author Alistair McGrath tells the story of rummaging through the last possessions of a dearly departed aunt. This gal had passed away in her late 80s. And he was helping, Alistair was, you know, go through the possessions and do what so many families do in a moment like this. You've, some of you have been there. He came across a, an old, battered photograph, uh, yellowed with time, but carefully stored away. And he knew something of the story behind the photograph. 
His old aunt had once been a young woman full of life. She had fallen helplessly, hopelessly in love with a handsome young man in this particular photograph. And they had committed themselves to do life together. And then a terrible tragedy took place. And she lost the love of her life. And she never gave her heart away again. And she finished out her 80-plus years walking on her own. As McGrath sat there in that home and fingered the photograph, he got to musing as to why his aunt had kept it after all these years. And McGrath writes, I guess it must have been partly to remind herself that she had once been loved by someone who had regarded her as his everything. It could all have seemed a dream, an illusion, something she'd invented in her old age to console her in her declining years, except that the photograph gave the lie to that. It reminded her that she had not invented it. It had not been invented. She really loved someone once and was loved in return. And McGrath goes on and says, the communion bread and the wine, they're like that photograph. They're this treasure we have that reminds us of something so wonderful and so good that we might fear at moments that it isn't true, that maybe it's just an invention, that once upon a time we were desperately loved by someone. Someone who loved us so much to, he was willing to leave an eternity of pleasure, comfort, and enter into this world and take on our life and shoulder our burdens. Someone who loved us so much that he was willing to, to change his entire language form, his entire way of being to come alongside of us. Someone who loved us so much that he was willing to tell us the hard truth and speak boldly his commandments to us to bring us to him and to guide us on his way. Someone who loved us so much that he stretched out his hands upon a cross and was pierced to pay the price of our sins that we might be forgiven and set free and allowed to start again. We need the bread and the wine to remind us. But unlike the young man in the old photograph, Jesus' death was not in fact a tragedy. It was a victory. And he still lives and his heart still pounds for you. And his promise, I am with you always, has been kept because he's here with us. Even now, closer to you, right this second, than your own heartbeat. And he still issues this cordial invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary. Are you weary in any way? Come. Come to me, all you 
who hunger or thirst? Do you ache? Do you, do you long? Do you parched in any way? Come to me. Come to me, commands Jesus, and live. Please pray with me. Jesus, you who are the burden lifter, the soul satisfier, the life giver, receive us as we receive you this day. Amen.